dive right in. We're continuing our series on prayer. Uh, before we go into that, I'm, I'm going to see if this works, okay? It might not work. I wrote it in my sermon, and I thought this might flop. Okay. We love because... Yeah! Wow, okay, hooray, it worked. <laughs> we love because God loves us. We love because he first loved us. That's 1 John 4, 19. The love of Jesus is the most important part of our love. Last week, we talked about the idea that Jesus is also the most important part of our prayer. It's not our strength, our striving, our gritted teeth, our hard work. It's not a particular form or a format it's Jesus. We don't build towers of righteousness up to God. Jesus is God come down to us. Amen? So while it's not about forms and formats, this week we are starting a journey together that's going to last the summer of talking about different kinds of prayer, different ways for us to pray. Why? Well, well here's my conviction. My conviction is that prayer is so much bigger than we give it credit for. And by practicing these different forms and formats, perhaps your imagination will be ignited in different ways about the way that we can talk to God. And, and perhaps you'll find new ways that you can relate to him that you haven't known before. And perhaps you might even come to know God in ways that you haven't known him before. And here's the thing about knowing God, and it's something that I hope we'll learn about a little bit today. Just like loving God is to be loved by God, knowing God is to be known by God. Actually, two times in the New Testament, Paul does this really strange thing when he's writing to, to the churches, and, uh, and he's talking about knowing God. And it's, both times, it's like an offhand aside comment, but it, the letters are written way far apart, so you just know this was like a baked-in idea that, that was just built into the way that he thought about knowing God. So I'll, I'll read one of the examples. This is Galatians 4.9. He says, But now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, and then he goes off and he makes this statement. And then he, he does it again in 1 Corinthians, when he's talking about how eventually we will know fully How? Well, as we have been fully known. See, there's a, there's a coming together of knowing God and being known by God. We love because we were first loved, and we know because we are first known. And so the prayer that we're learning about today is called the, praying the examine. Um, and it's all about knowing and being known by God. Richard Foster, uh, whose book on prayer is like my, one of my favorite books written on prayer. We'll talk about it lots in this sermon series, I'm sure. Um, he calls this an inward prayer. And that's not because we're praying to ourselves or anything like that, but because these are prayers where we are intentionally seeking inward transformation. And we're going to spend our next few weeks with inward prayers, and then after that we're going to talk about what he calls upward prayers. And those are prayers where we're intentionally seeking the intimacy of God. And then finally, we're going to go and we're going to uh, talk about outward prayers, which is like the ministry of prayers, praying for other people, intercessory prayer, all those types of things. So that's what we're going to structure this sermon series together. Today, inward prayers. Today, seeking inward transformation. And specifically, the practice we're talking about is praying the examine. And that's spelled E-X-A-M-E-N, which is probably not what you were thinking in your head. And I know I typed it the other way a whole bunch of times when I was writing my sermon. Um, but the word comes from the Latin. It's actually, a, it's out of like a part of a weighing scale. 
Uh, it's like the, the tongue of a weighing scale. But it's this very similar emphasis to the English word examine. Um, it's, it's examining. It's about considering. It's about making an accurate assessment. And while there are lots of different ways to pray the examine, and lots of invitations to pray in this way in Scripture, actually, we're going to focus on two. Uh, and we've actually encountered both of them already in our service today. One, very obvious. The other, quite obscure. Anyone have an idea where we might have seen the examine prayer so far in the service? Anybody? In the scripture reading, that's right. Uh, Psalm 139, this beautiful prayer of David. Um, we read the beginning, that's him reflecting on how he is known by God, and then we haven't read it yet, but at the end, the, these words, if you've, if you've been around church for a while, I bet you they're familiar, to, they're familiar to you. He prays, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's an examined prayer, a prayer inviting God to search and know our hearts, in, in, inviting him to know us, right? And, to, and then to reveal to us something. <laughs> what a beautiful prayer. We're going to come back to that one. Uh, you probably, pro probably not, but does anyone have a thought on where the other example of the examine, of examine prayer may have been in our service? Much more obscure. I would be really surprised if someone had noticed this. Okay, I won't make you guess. <laughs> Let me read to you the second verse of Come Thou Fount. Here I raise my Ebenezer, here by thy great help I've come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. I grew up in a church where we, we sang hymns. And uh, I think that the one we actually sang when I was growing up, the words were hitherto the, the mine Ebenezer. <laughs> it would always leave me thinking like, why are we singing about that Scrooge guy? from A Christmas Carol <laughs> in this hymn. Um, I think there's another line in, in it as well where it's about, um, let thy goodness like a fetter. And I was like, what's a fetter? This is not, you know, it's actually a chain, interestingly. It's about, you know, would, you, would your goodness be chained to me? Different sermon, different topic. We won't go there. <laughs> um, but this was like a nod your head and smile part of the song for me when I was a kid. Uh, I didn't understand it. We said the words. But it actually comes from 1 Samuel chapter 7. So let me tell you the story of this idea of an Ebenezer and what that means in the, in the biblical story. Um, as is often the case in some of these Old Testament stories, God's chosen people were under attack. The Philistines had heard that Israel was going to assemble together and they came to try to attack them and God's people were afraid, right? They knew that they were in danger. They knew that the odds were not in their favor. And so they came to their prophet, Samuel, and they said to him, this is the quote from the text, they said, do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel cries out to God on Israel's behalf, and God answers. And he answered in this really dramatic fashion. He sends like these loud claps of thunder, and it throws the Philistines into a panic, and then Israel is able to gain the advantage and to, to win the battle all by the provision of God. And here's where we find our Ebenezer. Verse 12, this is 1 Samuel 7, verse 12. says, Then Samuel took a stone, and he set it up between Mizpah and Shen, which is where this battle happened. And he named it Ebenezer, 
which means stone of help, saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. So an Ebenezer is an intentional remembrance of God's faithfulness. How is this a prayer? And how in the world are we supposed to pray it, right? And and here's the thing, we're going to talk about this a bunch in this sermon series, but most of the prayers that I grew up with, maybe most of the prayers that you're familiar with, are the talking kind of prayer, right? The kind of prayer where I come and I bring an offering of my words to God. This examine prayer, specifically called examine of consciousness, that's the the one we're talking about in the Ebenezer, or the, the, the remembrance of love, this is a listening kind of prayer. And you know, if we think about it for a minute, if we think about us and we're having conversations with God, it's funny that most of our prayer has been all us talking, right? We talk and we talk and we talk. And, you know, Ol Halsby in his book on prayer, he talks, he gives this example of a, a person who goes into their doctor's office and they sit down and they tell the doctor, hey, I've got this, I've got this, hey, this is going on and my back aches and all these sorts of things. And then they get up and they walk out of the room before the doctor says a word. And he goes, this is how most of us pray, <laughs> right? We come in, all right, this, this, that, this, okay, here's all of our stuff. All right, bye God, see you later, right? This examine practice of prayer is one that invites us into a stopping and a listening, is one where we create space for God to speak. It's the other side of that communication. As a prayer, it, it begins very simply, right? We we examine our days and our weeks, and we ask for God's guidance. We do talk. We ask for God's guidance to see where he may have been at work and how we have responded. So Foster gives this example. He says, we consider, for example, whether the boisterous neighbor of last night was more than just a rude interruption of a quiet evening. Maybe, maybe it was the voice of God encouraging us to be attentive to the pain and loneliness of those around us. Perhaps, perhaps in the glorious sunrise of this morning, God was shouting out to us of his love and his beauty and inviting us to share in it. But we were too sleepy or distracted to participate. The examined prayer is a prayer where we take time. We stop and we think and we watch and we wait to see where God is may be active and moving and working in our lives. Because here's what we believe. We believe that we don't serve a God who is way off in the distance far away. We serve a God who is God come down, who is with us, who is working and moving among us. Amen? This is a sort of prayer of inward transformation a waking up to God's presence in our surroundings. And some people just seem naturally in tune with that sort of thing. I don't know if you know anyone like that, who just like, it seems like everywhere they go, they've got like a, oh, I saw God here, and oh, God was over here. He was doing this thing, and it was so cool. Everywhere they go. For others, it takes a lot of work. I don't know why that is. I don't think it's any failure on any one person's part, or it's any success on another person's part. I think there's ways in which we're made. But I do believe that we can all Take the simple step of praying a prayer. God, would you show me the places where you're working in my life? And of giving him a moment, perhaps, to bring to our minds the places where he's moving. 
And because we are people who are forgetful, it can be helpful to follow the example of Samuel in creating a personal Ebenezer. So I brought one of mine this morning. This is my mug. I'm not going to pass it around because it's really special to me. <laughs> um, when Raven and I were living in Scotland, we went on this trip with some friends of ours. We went to an isle called the Isle of Mull, and then we drove all the way across the Isle of Mull, and we got on another ferry, and we went to another island off the coast of Mull called Iona. And Iona is this famous place in the beginnings of Christianity in the global west. It's this really precious place. St. Columba came there. He built this monastery, and they went off and sent evangelists everywhere. Like, we have Christian people in the global west because of the work that was done here at Iona. And it's the very first place that they built, like, these ringed crosses, and they have them as markers all over the place. And when I was there, and I walked through this monastery that was built in, like, the year 600 and something uh, that's been restored, I felt God's presence so close. Like we talk about it like, uh, sometimes people refer to it as like a thin place. There's just like the, 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 the veil between us and God. It's like paper thin. And I was on the verge of tears the whole time. And like Raven, our friends that were with us, they were kind of like, eh. <laughs> it wasn't for them, right? But for me, history, like these are the ways that God speaks to my heart. And it was a place that I felt him so, so close. It was so precious. I sat and I prayed and I remembered these stories. And so I bought a mug when I was there that was made on the island that has one of these ringed crosses on it. And I drink my coffee out of it every morning when I make a coffee and I smell the coffee and it's helpful for me. It's especially helpful for me in moments when God feels far away. To remember, not that it fixes it and all of a sudden he feels close, but to remember the God who helps me, the God who is near to me, the God who has been near to me will be near to me again. This moment when he feels far is not forever. He is a God come down, right? And so I have my Ebenezer, right? This is how it's talked about in the song too, right? Here I find my Ebenezer, and then what does he do? He goes off and tells the whole story of how God sought him while a stranger, right? Came after him and pursued him. He said, I raised my Ebenezer, and then he remembers. This Ebenezer, along with this kind of prayer, it can be particularly helpful for us to practice in moments when God feels far away, or when we are afraid. Because this is actually how hope works, right? We remember how God has been faithful, how he has been present, so that we can believe it forward that he will continue to be that way. And interestingly, that's how David begins Psalm 139, right? That we read together this morning. It's, it's, it's a remembrance. That's where he starts. He starts not with the invitation of to God, search me and know me, but with the remembrance that God has already searched him and known him. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You, you know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. Verse 5, you, go, you hem me in from before and be, behind, uh, be, behind and before. You lay your hands upar, upon me. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. I could just read the whole psalm again. I love this psalm. It begins with this remembrance of God's faithfulness and love. But it does take a turn towards the end, right? I don't know if you're familiar with it. I don't, we don't know, as, as biblical scholars, the people who study this, they don't know what the particular circumstances were surrounding this passage, this psalm when David wrote it. 
But what's really clear towards the end of the psalm is he's, he's anxious. He's afraid. He starts talking about those who are against him, who are coming against him. And so the remembrance of God's love was a beautiful and necessary part, but then he takes a step further into this second type of examine prayer that we're going to talk about today. We call this the examine of conscience. So we had before the examine of consciousness, of our thoughts, of our, of our experiences, of the things that we've gone through. We called that the remembrance of love. And then this is the examine of our conscience. We would maybe call it, instead of the remembrance of love, we would call it the scrutiny of love. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Of the two ways of praying the examine, this one may seem like the more frightening of the two. And if I'm being honest, there are days when I would prefer that God did not see the inner workings of my heart and mind, my selfishness or my pride. There are times when I feel, I feel like Adam and Eve in the garden after they've eaten the fruit and all that I want to do is hide, right? But it's in these moments that I most need the first examine. I most need to remember that the God who I serve is a God who, who, who is of love, a God whose desire is for my good and for my healing and for my flourishing, for our good and healing and flourishing. Here's, here's the truth, right? We live in a society that is obsessed with introspection and self-knowledge, right? We, we put it up on a pedestal, it's such an idol. But I think, I think that when we go at this work alone, it, it, can, it can be really bad news, right? Because there's kind of like two outcomes that can happen when we start to go into that introspective place and start to examine ourselves all by ourselves. The first is that we make excuses for everything in our life, right? All of the ways that maybe we're failing or falling short, we, we think up all of the excuses to appease ourselves and to feel better. And the other side, the other pendulum swing that so often we fall into is we become overly scrupulous. We begin to think of ourselves as unredeemable. There are so many things wrong. There's so many problems. It's all my fault. This type of examine, inviting God to come in, is protection against both. It, it means that the introspective work that we do as followers of Jesus, seeking to better ourselves, seeking to be bettered by the work of the Spirit in us, is a joint process of searching. We invite God to be our guide in the journey into our heart. And we're inviting him to be our guide because as we heard earlier, he already knows it all, <laughs> right? And he knows the ways through our heart much better than we do. And he knows what to reveal to us and when in order to help us grow closer to him. God comes into our hearts as our protector. And he invites us into truth. Not to condemn us, not to accuse us, but to set us free. This inviting the Spirit to begin His sanctifying, this is inviting the Spirit to begin His sanctifying work in our lives, in our hearts. We take all of ourselves, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and we give it all to God. And He leads us through the inner pathways of our hearts, and, we, and, 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 and He asks to be welcomed into every untidied room that we have. Not to condemn us, 
to set us free. This is inviting the scrutiny of love. St. Teresa of Avila, she's really known for this kind of thing, and she writes in her autobiography about this type of journey of prayer. And She's got this really kind of, for me, mind-twisting quote. She says, along this path of prayer, self-knowledge and the thought of one's sins is the bread with which all palates must be fed, no matter how delicate they may be. They cannot be sustained without this bread. So let me explain how I've understood this, because this is a really strange idea, that the ways that I fail and don't measure up are the bread that sustains me. This is not, let me be clear, this is not about having a negative view of yourself. St. Teresa of Avila, the, the core thing that she came to understand was that she was God's beloved. That's the core truth here. You are his beloved child worth dying for, right? This is not about having a, a negative view of yourself. It's actually about learning that God calls you his beloved child, worthy of love after seeing every part of you that you might imagine makes you unworthy. If we invite God into the deepest and most frightening parts of ourselves, his response is not to shrink away and reject you, but to pour out his unending love. I really think that, that this place, at the end of ourselves, that's the place where we meet God. In the place where we are most certain that we don't deserve it, we find a God who believes that we are worthy, who believes that we are worth dying for. In the place where, where you are most certain that you do not deserve love, you will find a God who believes that you are worth dying for. This, I think, is the way that the thoughts of our sins can be the bread that sustains us. It's the way that the examine of our conscience can invite us deeper into God's love than we even knew was possible. Church, I, I said this last week, I'll say it again today. It is all well and good for us together to talk about prayer. And it is an entirely different thing for us to do it. And today we have a perfect opportunity to do just that, to practice the examine, both of these types of examine together in communion. See, communion is actually the coming together of these two examines. The act of taking the bread and the cup is an act of remembrance, remembering God's faithfulness, remembering and proclaiming the truth that, that God loved us so much that he sent his son to make a way for us to be forgiven. And as we participate in communion, there is an intentional invitation for us to examine our hearts. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, um, he talks about not taking communion in an unworthy manner, and then he encourages that the, that the church that everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Now, I feel like I, I need to quickly address the elephant in the room here. Whenever I have led communion in the past, I've been hesitant to even bring this up because I think it's one of the most misunderstood passages of Scripture. See, Paul was writing his letter, this letter, to a church that were doing some, like, pretty awful things surrounding communion. And he used some really harsh language, right? The church at the time was mixing pagan practices with communion practices. They were excluding certain people on the basis of class and status while they were elevating other people based upon their wealth. This was certainly an awful thing. 
And, and Paul used harsh language when he talked about it. He talks about people who are taking communion wrongly, like actually drinking upon themselves a, a, a cup of, of punishment, right? Of like a curse upon themselves. What I don't think Paul was writing about, though, was, was the person who was angry with their kids or their spouse this morning, and they said some things that they didn't mean to before church, and now they're feeling guilty. Actually, I think that to those people, what we would say is if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And actually, I think that the examination before the remembrance, the remem- like remembering those sins in that time, it, it can actually make our experience of remembering Jesus' great love for us and the gift of his life and death on our behalf even more sweet, right? Lord, as we go from this place today, give us the gift of eyes to see and ears to hear the, way, the ways that you are working and moving, God. Speak to our hearts. Show us the places where you are. Invite us into a remembrance of your love. God, also speak to our hearts. Challenge us. Invite us deeper and deeper into relationship with you. Help us to to correct the places where we have gone wrong and lead us in the way everlasting. In your name, amen. Go in the freedom of Christ today. Thanks for listening to the Blue Mountain Community Church Podcast. May God's word fill you up this week. God bless.